going going back to Jalen Battles, I'm in, I'm intrigued because there are also a couple of middle infielders. One that has gained some pop in Xavier Edwards, and mm-hmm. one uh, in Greg Jones uh, that maybe not so much. When you look at those two comps, because obviously, as this being locked on ranks, we don't comp only to MLB players. We have a stocked farm system that we're also comping to guys that are uh, prospects too. So, looking at Jalen Battles, how does he grade? In comparison to Greg Jones and Xavier Edwards with the glove, maybe the plate discipline is, is obviously a little bit lower, but what about the glove of Jalen compared to Xavier and to Greg? So I would say he has a better he better defense than Xavier Edwards. And he's he's pretty close. I'm I'm going through it back and forth in my head. He's pretty close to Greg Jones. And that and I think that's just something I'm 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 trying to pull up some of my recent notes. I saw Greg Jones just just about two weeks ago. Um, I'd say they're probably about the same. Greg Jones and Battles are the same. I'd maybe give a give a couple points extra to, to Battles, but for the most part, they're about similar. Um, I do think he's got more power than Xavier Edwards, although Edwards has had a fantastic year, has really unlocked yeah. a lot of it in Durham. More home runs this year than he had in his minor league career so far. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's another reason why I like the battles pick is obviously something the organization did. I'm giving the organization the credit here. It's obviously him as well. But something the organization did helped him figure out that next step. I mean, and you look now he's up there as a top five prospect when I don't think we were talking about him in the top 10 going into this year because the power was like a 20 grade. Mm-hmm. And so... It's something where if Xavier Edwards can do it, if they can if they can get him to have power like that, that makes me think, one, Chandler Simpson's a very good comp for where Xavier Edwards was when they came out yeah. of the draft. And then it makes me think battles to Greg, those two guys together can be comparable. And it's something where now you can say, all right, when we're ready to call these guys up, we have versions of these guys we just put into the minor league system. Here's how we develop the guys we just called up. We can do these exact same take the exact same lessons, the exact same skills that we taught them, and teach it to these new guys. So it's a kind of a, uh, a good example of of knowing what traits you're looking for, plugging it into your model, and following the plan as you went through the draft. They said, "Here's a guy we know we can teach somebody with low power to do this, and you know we know we can take a good defender and we can get him this and this and make him better this way." So. Uh, I think those two guys comp well to those to those two guys in the system. Simpson, um, uh, sorry, uh, battles to to Greg, and then Simpson to the other one. And one more name wasn't Akita Williams also a glove first guy? Kevin, was that from last year's draft or the uh, year I want to say it was from the twenty twenty draft. Although time could be escaping me that. Alica was uh, uh, Alica Williams, sorry, yes, short and out of Arizona State. He yeah. was a first round supplemental in 2020. Yeah, second second highest draft at Arizona State shortstop of all time. Who's yeah. the first? Yeah, um, a, a Red Sox guy in the early 2010s, like 24th or something like that. He 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 didn't take a single at bat in the bigs, but he's the only one who was higher than than Alica Williams. Really, and Arizona State is—I mean, historically, it's been—it's a, a pretty decent baseball school. That's what's really surprising about it. There's every now and then—that's the fun thing about the draft—is you'll find this really odd thing. Like, wait, they've never had a first-round pick, or they—they've yeah. they, never done this. 
you know? Mm-hmm. So that's one of those things. But yeah, he's the same kind of thing. Best defender in the minor league system. But I mean, Williams needs to drive the ball more. He needs to be a little patient, get a little stronger. He's a little undersized at 6'2", 180. I think he could probably add, you know, probably a good 10 pounds of muscle. And that's something that'll come with time. Um, but kind of fits that same profile of a guy that, you know, has, has good defense, has a good arm, um, has decent contact ability, but struggles with the power a bit. I mean, yeah. kind of that same mold. And you see they get them and you give them enough time and you get a guy where the lessons will stick and you can turn that guy into a Xavier Edwards. And mm-hmm. then, you know, everything works right. You can turn him into a Brandon Lau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, well, we, we've got some more draft questions for sure, but uh, the Alica Williams statement just kind of made me want to think about the Rays' current uh, farm system and, and current crop of prospects. And Lindsay, I mean, you, you do host the Locked On MLB Prospects <laughs> podcast, so who better to ask than you? But uh, within the system right now, who is your favorite Rays prospect? Is it Taj Bradley? Is it Curtis Mead? Is it Carson Williams? Is it Greg Jones? Is it Xavier Edwards? Is it Cole Wilcox? Like, who, who is that guy that, man, I'm, I'm going to bat for this dude? I keep going back and forth. So I keep waffling between Curtis Mead and Taj Bradley. And part of it is Curtis Mead was so great when he was on your show. I really enjoyed enjoyed listening to him. I can listen to Australians talk all day. It's fun to listen to. But I've been just just really impressed with some of the changes that he made. I actually got a chance to see him in Montgomery. I was there at the last game before he was promoted to Durham this year. Uh, Made it there, saw him for the last time. So uh, just I keep going back and forth. And with – with Meade, it's it's something where I think I had underrated his defense. And I was there with some members of the Biscuits, uh, not not players, but some staff members. And and one of them has heard me talk about Curtis Meade on the show before. And I talked about his defense being a little bit below average and kind mm-hmm. of outside of the model. And every time he made a fantastic pick at third, he made one of those barehanded scoop and grabs. Guy just turns to me and he's like, he's got bad defense, right? Is that what you said? <laughs> so so I think that if Curtis Meade's defense is better than I thought it was, then I think he's probably the number one prospect. But Taj Bradley, I think, has the higher ceiling. Taj Bradley, to me, is, um, I mean, fastball slider. Both those pitches are plus pitches. The changeup is above average. The curveball's close. I think the curveball can get there as well. And j- just a guy... You've, he's, he's had some time, 2018, what, fifth rounder, I think. So he's had a couple years. But, I mean, he's he's this close. I could see him, depending on how things go at the end of the year, I could see it as something where maybe he's up kind of like a Shane Boz was, where towards the very end of the year, you bring him up. I mean, he's got a 170 ERA in 16 games in A. He's over the, the, the innings pitched mark where it's not a sample size issue. This is who he right. is. He's probably deserving pretty soon of a promotion to Durham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something where when you're a contending team, it's very hard to call up a prospect and let them learn at the big league level. But I think that there's a space here soon to t- send Taj Bradley to AAA and then give him an end-of-season call-up, let him get a couple games, kind of like you did for Shane Boz last year, uh, and and see what he does with it. Um, I you know so Curtis Mead right now I like him a little bit more. I think Bradley's got the higher ceiling and the dude that I mean he may be a number one number two if everything work, go, works out correctly. 
Mm. You know, Kevin, I think we do have to give the bump uh, on this podcast to Curtis Mead, a friend of the podcast. Yeah, it will be the number one, and then Tosh Bradley can can take number two, of course. Yeah, until uh, we've interviewed Tosh Bradley, it's got to stay with Curtis Mead, and Curtis Mead said he'd like to come on the show again too. So, That's right. Taj, I mean, the uh, the ball is in your court, man. It's yeah, right the here. Lock, the Locked On Race podcast pump. Um, so it's nice to talk about guys who you know so much potential and what could be, and maybe this is a guy that eventually figures it out at the big league level. Um, Ulysses, I think you probably know where I'm going here, but but El Brujan, he struggled in his time with the Rays this season and last season. I mean, I don't have to go through all the numbers, but. You know, in 45 games or so this season before he was sent down, 167 batting average, 230 on base, 246 slug, 477 OP, uh, OPS, uh, caught stealing more, more caught stealings than stolen bases. Like it just was not a good showing for him. Um, do you, th- where do you stand on Vidal Brujan? Do you think it just wasn't enough of a sample size or that he, the, the hype was maybe too much over the last couple of years regarding this guy? So I think maybe one is being the next prospect to debut after Wander Franco maybe mm-hmm. sets a little bit of unrealistic expectations in the fan base's mind for what he's going to be. Uh, he genuinely talented. He genuinely is the fastest player in this system, the best base runner in this system. But I think that the issue here is, one, he's never had a chance to get into a routine. He, you know, he, he's playing multiple positions. He's not getting consistent playing time. And then also, I think it's just the the power is not really there. And Mm -hmm. that's something where obviously they also wanted him to to develop some of that power like some of these other guys have. And it never really came in. And so look at a guy like a Billy Hamilton. I'm not saying Bill Bruhan is going to be a Billy Hamilton, but that's another situation where I think of where somebody has just very little power. Um, you know, fantastic speed, you know, good at everything else, just doesn't have any power to speak of and the limitations it can put into your game. Um, And so, I mean, I think Bruhan's average exit below is 87 miles an hour, something around there. Mm -hmm. So incredibly versatile, very useful, a guy that you can put on your bench. Uh, You can defensive replacement. You can put him in to run in extra innings. If your catcher was the last out in the ninth, and he's going to be your runner in the 10th, put Bruhan in there. I think I saw Bruhan, uh, I want to say it was at double A in 19. I want to say he scored from second on a sack fly. I mean, <laughs> tons of speed. It's just him getting him getting into the groove of baseball. Uh, I really think consistent playing time every day is probably what he needs. As much as I want to see him at the big league level, when you're contending, like I said earlier, you can't let him learn on the job. Vidal Bruhan's a guy, I put him in double A, I put him at one position, I let him play every day, I let him get into a groove. And then if I have some sort of injury at the big league level where I know, hey, now I can play him every day in center, I can play him every day at second, something like that, then I bring him up and I let him play every day. He feels like that kind of player that just needs the routine, needs the consistency to really get into a groove. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MLB to post your job for free. 
Terms and conditions apply. You know, Lindsay, we we play a, a game on Fridays usually uh, called Name That War. And it's where we take a player from the past and uh, we ask each other, hey, can you guess X players, you know, war according to baseball reference? Okay. You mentioned Billy Hamilton. And so I went on on baseball reference and I see that he spent 10 years already in, in, in major leagues and he has a career B war of 10.2. I was going to guess. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I'm going to guess 10.1. There you All go. Right. Very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but my point with this is that's a, that's a career that most of the prospects that you dive deep into would love to have. Would love to have. So if this is – if he ends up being a Billy Hamilton type – I don't think that's a that's I don't think that's a, a a bad thing, is it? Or is it because the expectations were so high that that would be a bad result? It would be perceived as a disappointment by a lot of fans, and I think part of that is like you said, the expectations were so high. And again, he was kind of in an unfortunate situation because you see Wander Franco come up and do so well right away, mm-hmm. get the long contract. I don't I don't think he ever batted below third in that first season. He was up right. And so Bruhan coming up right after that set some expectations, but you're absolutely right. Billy Hamilton's been a big leaguer for 10 years. I believe Billy Hamilton has a World Series ring. Like he's, I mean, he's played in the postseason. He's been a part of winning teams. And that is, like you said, that is more of a career than most big leaguers have. So if Fidel mm-hmm. Bruhan ends up at only Billy Hamilton, it's a success compared to most prospects who never even get a single play in the big leagues. No, when you get your pension, that's a huge deal. Corey Kluber just got the 10-year mark, which means he'll get his pension. And I remember, uh, I think it was Mark talking with the Times, he referenced how many guys reached that 10-year mark. I mean, I think it's like 10, 12%. If that, I might even be, I may be over- Cushioning it. it. Yeah, I think so. So it's, it's not a very- large number at all now but Bruhan has some work to do because he has a negative 1.2 b war as of right now so uh we'll right. see what happens with all that speaking of war Lindsay, uh let's have a little fun here with the uh 2022 mlb draft which Ooh. player from this draft do you think will wind up having the highest career war when we look back 15 20 25 years from now Ooh. The answer I want to say is Drew Jones, but I think you mean of your team's draftees, right? No, no, no. no. I well, actually, sure. Let's oh, do it. Let's do the Rays and uh, and league wide. Okay, Drew draft. Jones, huh? Okay, yeah. Um, okay, so of your draftees, who's going to have the highest WAR? So the okay, so this is going to be an all or nothing answer, but I think it's got to be Xavier Isaac. Okay, if he makes it. He's going to be the, I mean, you have 80 grade raw power. That is something where we're talking about you contending for home run titles. We're comping you to Pete Alonzo. And I, I gave a comp of Albert Pujols as power. Uh, I mean, if Xavier Isaac works out, which again, the odds on any prospect working out are against Xavier Isaac. But I think in his case, uh, defensively limited prep first baseman with bad bodies is one of the riskiest mm-hmm. profiles in the draft from a purely statistical analytical standpoint. But if he works out, he's going to have a massive impact on this franchise. Um, so it's it's going to be him. If not him, I know it's the second round pick, but Brock Jones of Stanford. 
And that would be something where he profiles to be probably your third of three outfielders, but he feels like a pretty safe bet that he's going to make it to the big league level just based on what he's done in his college career. And he's going to be a guy that can contribute for you um, for long enough to get a pension, if nothing else. So if Xavier Isaac works out, Xavier Isaac, I think. If not him, a guy like a Brock Jones, which I know that's the one, the, the first and second pick, but at the same time, that's why they were the first and second pick. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, podcasts. They have it all. They have you covered. So head today to BetOnline or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. For those keeping you know track at home, Peter Alonso has played four seasons and he's got a uh, twelve B WAR, so averaging out to three WAR per season. A three WAR per season on a guy that's limited with the glove mm-hmm. that is just going to hit uh, dingers. That should be a lot of dingers for three WAR uh, per season. So that that yeah. should make Rays fans listening to this pretty happy. I think he's actually only earned 10 in game competition, and then he gets one B-War for each home run derby. (laughs) So he's got 12. There you go. That's right. I forgot about that. I forgot about that math. Yeah, Yeah. very good. Uh, He gets an extra million, too, I guess, for winning. Yeah, He got more for winning the home run derby than he did in salary. Isn't that crazy? There we go. A couple more questions here regarding the draft, uh, Lindsay. Um, What do you see as if there even is that next – frontier of the the next market inefficiency in drafting and player development is is there something that teams like the rays and those teams that get that label of smart analytical thinking outside the box that they're focusing on or or turning to or tuning into when it comes to drafting in the 2020s and then developing those players over the next couple years it's a very good question. One of the better questions I've gotten this week. Um, hey, there we go. Yeah. So the two things that I'm noticing is, one, and Colorado is a great example of this, uh, is teams are figuring out, based on our ballpark, where you know, so where we play and the characteristics of that, and then as well as what we do well as an organization, what traits do we need to prioritize? Just about every pitcher that the Rockies took in this draft either throws a power slider already or has a pitch that can easily be turned into a power slider because of the effects of playing at altitude, as well as the ability, like how good the Rockies have been at pitching development with hard breaking, breaking balls, you know, uh, just a little more firm breaking balls. So one is, is encompassing the whole picture. You look at a team like the Orioles, the Orioles, you know, the dimensions of Camden Yards, they moved the fences back. The Orioles prioritized um, hitters that could hit home runs in that ballpark as it's currently constructed. So I think one is just understanding a better idea of where you play and what your organization's good at and drafting for that. I'll say that's one thing. The other thing is teams who have been more willing to ignore prototypical sizes. 
the, the Red Sox drafted a right-handed pitcher who's five foot ten. The the Angels drafted a first baseman who's two hundred and sixty three pounds, but he also led the country in on base percentage and in walks and led the SEC in batting average. So <laughs> he can hit, but he's two hundred and sixty three pounds. There's a lot of teams that would not have even had a two hundred and sixty three pound first baseman on their board. The Angels took him because they weren't worried about statistically he's heavy well yeah that's fine but he can hit what's take somebody what's not be afraid of the fact that yeah this jonathan brand of miami of ohio is a five foot ten righty let's not worry about that he can get strikeouts he can get swing and miss so those are kind of the two big frontiers that i see are teams tailoring their models for the park that they play in and the parks that they go to visit a lot and then teams being willing to look at a trait or a tool and override uh, something like a, a, a not prototypical height, size, arm action, things like that. Cooper Yerpy is a first-round pitcher. Uh, no starting pitcher in Major League Baseball has a release point as low as Cooper Yerpy's. Not a single one. But they looked at the analytics on the pitch. They looked at the arm action and the production, and they said, we're going to take somebody who's outside of the prototypical arm slot of a starter – because of what he can do in the tools. So I think those are really the two places where teams are starting to go. Some teams don't do this. The Guardians are very much a, we stick with our models. We don't take a guy who's not prototypical size. We don't want a unicorn. But some organizations, the smart ones, are starting to go out and ignore some of those, I'm not going to call them red flags, but some of those things that would normally rule a prospect as, as not as valuable. They're ignoring that and they're drafting based on tools and based on fit in the organization. That's a wonderful answer. A couple points on that. Alejandro Kirk, baby. There's an example. And wasn't it uh, Billy Bean and Moneyball that said, hey, we're not drafting underwear models here. We're drafting exactly. ball players. Exactly. I don't care what he looks like in blue jeans. Can he get on base? Yeah. That's a quote, quote from the movie. I mean, right there. It's, it's kind of the same thing. He's like, this is what we value. And right now, if people are passing over these players because, you know, Scott Hatterberg they're passing over him because he can't throw. Well, that's fine. We'll find somewhere else to put him. We want him because he gets on base. That's what some of these teams are starting to do. So awesome. they, 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 they stand on the they stand on the dish like a duck, like Euclid. Like who cares? Who cares? Billy yeah. Bean called Kevin Euclid the Greek god of walks. <laughs> that's right. It's the absolute ugliest batting stance you've ever seen. Which Kevin <laughs> Kevin Prod of Georgia Tech is pretty close, and he was a you know mm-hmm. number eleven pick. Because he that. can hit and he can get on base, yeah. even though his batting stance is ugly. <laughs> Kevin Euclid's career war. Oh, ooh, ooh. Probably not as high as I think it is. I'm going to say 23.2. Dude, you stole it. I was going to say 23 as well. I'm going to go, okay, fine. Higher or lower? I'm going to go Over or under lower. Just go. because it's the Red Sox, I'm just going to give them a negative there. So I'm going to go 20. It's probably like 15. Uh, his facial hair gives him like an extra five or six four. Uh, right? Three-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion. Not that that necessarily counts for war. Uh, gold Glove, one-time Gold Glove winner. Really? You guys are underselling Kevin Euclid a little bit, at least according to B-Rap. Are we? 32.4 career Ooh, war. Wow. Yeah, Played he gets exactly the Red Sox years. negative. Yeah. During hey, 10 years. I mean, got his pension. Got his pension. With the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. So... Um, one more question I have, Ulysses, I don't know if you have, uh, any more to, before we wrap up, but, um, a little bit, uh, off the wall here, but, um, this guy did make 
headlines nationally in, in the baseball sphere regarding the draft. Uh, and a local kid out of St. Leo University in Pasco County, uh, Jared Beck, drafted by the Baltimore Orioles, I believe, in the middle rounds. Um, normally, nobody would care about that except for the fact that he's seven feet tall. He's a seven-foot-tall pitcher. What do you make of this guy and what he brings to the table, if anything, besides uh, being a tall dude that you know maybe can dunk on some guys uh, you know, outside of the, the baseball stadium? Yeah, that was... Um... I was curious what was going to happen. There was a couple guys that I was watching, and he was one of them, simply because there's so few uh, massive human beings like that. I think – so the issue you have when you're incredibly tall is the levers. Mm. So when you're, you're trying to pitch as a seven-footer, it's very hard to keep everything synchronized. Uh, typically, you don't see lefties – and this is why Randy Johnson was so effective. You don't see – guys that tall have incredibly high velocity, but their stuff plays up because your release point's so close to the plate. Mm. And when you watch Beck, it's something where he's having that issue that a lot of those incredibly tall people have. And I think about it a lot in basketball, obviously, but the proception of understanding where, like just kind of subconsciously understanding where different parts of his body are at any given moment and the work to sync up his, his kinetic chain, so his lower half to his upper half, sync up his arm action to his stride. That's all work that you're going to have to to do in your player development program. But I think that the Orioles are one of the teams that could do that. I actually would have loved to see him be a Ray. Mm. I think the Guardians are a team that could have done work with that if they would have been willing to take a seven-footer. I don't think they would have. But I think that he has the stuff to be a big leaguer, but understand that he's probably going to have – below average command and control because of those long levers and the odds are against him simply because he is a seven footer but uh, if anyone can do it i think he could do it and it would be it would be great to see i think that'd be just the the best thing i somehow want to see him play and pitch to jose altuve just because that's a really funny (laughs) in my head yeah he would be the uh if he makes it to the majors he would be the tallest mlb player ever not surprisingly at Seven feet. Seven it's foot. it's funny. I, I remember reading a quote from uh, Rick Odette, head coach at St. Leo, who I've talked to a couple of times. He's like, um, you'd be surprised that he, a guy built and that looks like this, that he can walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> but he's actually, you know, a pretty decent athlete for his size. But I just wanted to get your perspective on that. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's really interesting. It's going to be tough. But if he can do it, I'm going to be very excited. Like, like you said, we've never had a seven foot tall yeah. baseball player before at all heck so. maybe that that's a, a maybe he gets traded to the rays at some point we know they love their arm angles and their mm-hmm. release points and they like throwing different looks at guys i mean it wouldn't that be like a very raisian thing to yeah we're gonna roll out as hey hey we we have you know 15 different guys that go on our saves in a single season let's add a seven footer to the mix the two guys that would be very much on brand for the race to go out and trade for out of this draft class he's one of them and what the other one is gerangelo sintaihi uh this the ambidextrous pitcher mm. Ooh. he went i think he went in the 18th round he's a mississippi state commit i think he's gonna make it to campus uh but uh, the ambidextrous pitcher and the seven foot pitcher those are the two like most raised guys ever to appear yeah, in the same yeah. game. That would be fantastic. 
That would be yeah, great. Yeah, the next uh, thing will be like, uh, hey, let's draft a guy with no arms, but he's incredibly fast, so we can use him as a pinch runner or something like that. That, that could be the next. Uh, I think he'd probably actually have a deficiency when he sli- when he tried to slide into a base. You're true. probably going to be be stuck there. Um, we have yeah. had way back in yonder days when everything was in black and white. They did have a one armed catcher before. There was also uh, Jim Abbott who threw uh, th- that no hitter yeah. right uh, for for the Yankees too. You know, with uh, with one arm. So yeah, there's there's always those those stories that are great. Yeah. Lindsay, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and not only having a good time with us and but making us smarter, making us just think differently uh, about prospects for everybody that is subscribed to the channel and is listening to this on their pe- favorite podcast platforms. I know that they really enjoyed you. So can you tell them where they can find your stuff? on twitter instagram on your uh, podcast everything absolutely i'm on twitter at crosby baseball my show locked in mlb prospects is available wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube you can find uh the show on twitter at locked on farm and something i want to plug real quick is every single monday we do mailbags i take nothing but listener questions about players uh, the the lawsuit that they just recently had and settled about minor league compensation, all that kind of stuff. So if you have questions for the show, again, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Farm, or you can email us Locked On MLB Prospects at gmail.com. One final question, Lindsay. Um, okay. Locked On Farm. Do you ever get random questions from people asking you about farming? Like, hey, what kind of fertilizer do I use when I'm trying to grow some corn? Like, do, do those do, do those confusions ever come in on social media? Uh, I've never gotten that, but I did have a radio host out of Louisiana. I was on uh, about a week or two before the draft, and I don't think he understood that my show was actually called Locked on MLB Prospects. And oh, so man. every time he plugged, which he plugged about every other question, He'd say, Lindsey Crosby, the host of Locked on Farm. And I'm like, I'm just going to go with it. That's, I'm not going to correct him. We're on air. Let's just go with this. So never gotten a farming question, though. If somebody yeah. did say, hey, um, how do you fertilize your corn? I'd say, well, let's wait for the Field of Dreams game, and they'll probably have a little package where they'll tell us. Hey. <laughs> there it is. What a great way to tie it up. Thank you again, Lindsey. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a blast.